Second Chronicles, you see. Uh, not Second Corinthians, but Second Chronicles. So you'll find First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, and First, Second Chronicles. They're all kind of they're all right after each other in the Old Testament before Psalms. And like it says, a chronicle is a record, a written record about the kings of Israel and Judah. In Second Chronicles thirty-four, I'm going to talk to you about discovering the book. We're going to see the reactions of two kings in the Bible: the father and his son, Josiah. We're going to look at him first, and we're going to look at the reaction of Jehoiakim, both the reactions to the Bible. We're going to see that in Second Chronicles chapter 34, once I get there myself. So um, why don't we pray, and uh, pray with me, would you, that this would be a blessing and a help to somebody, especially to a lot of somebodies, uh, so that we discover, maybe rediscover, the book of books, the Bible. Father, I thank you for opportunity to open your word and it's a great privilege to read it with our own eyes <clears throat> to hear it and then to preach it god and this world is um uh, is on a on a course for destruction it, it is it's been planned it, it, nothing's happening by accident you knew it was going to go this way and uh, lord uh, there are a lot of christians who are wondering what's going to happen next well i, I know this um it's, it's not the, the what, it's the who that we're going to focus on. Because you've given us a Bible that you've already told us beforehand so that nothing should shake us, nothing should scare us, nothing should overwhelm us, even though it does. And I pray we would rediscover the, the, the priceless treasure of the Word of God um, for, for our sanity. And this month, God, that we would draw close to you through this book, God. Um, we're, we're, we're stuck in our homes. We're, 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 we're not able to do any kind of uh, normality, really. Uh, we're trying to be normal. But in this time, God, I pray that your word would become preeminent instead of the news. Because it seems like the devil's soaking up every second of your people's time. And obviously the world have, have need the light. So please help us to be a gospel light, God, because, because of this book. I pray somebody would get saved today. They would learn what it means and learns that the door's still open. And they can be born again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 34. If you look at the year, it's, it's 640 B.C. That's not 640 A.M. <laughs> That's 640 B.C. It's 640 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what B.C. means, before Christ. That's 2,661 years before now. That's 2,661 years ago. That an eight-year-old boy is anointed king. You wouldn't believe it, but look at chapter 34 and verse 1. Now, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one in 30 years. Now, I want you to understand, an eight-year-old king is a crazy concept, all right? Uh, this, this boy's name is Josiah. He was the son of his father, who was a king named Ammon, who was the son of uh, a king named Manasseh. That's Josiah's grandfather. And his uh, great-grandfather was King Hezekiah. At least he was a good king. Uh, uh, Eight-year-old kings were not, not totally rare, but they were pretty rare. 
David started his reign at 30 years of age. That's a normal age where you would expect somebody to become king. But Jehoash, uh, in, in just a few chapters before, in chapter 24, Jehoash was seven when he became king. Seven years old when he became king. Manasseh was 12. Jehoiakim was eight years old. But beating all the records, Jesus was king at birth. Amen. So here we have a very young king and uh, his world was in ruins. Josiah inherited a mess emotionally, spiritually, economically. An evil empire called the Babylonians were just outside of, of the kingdom, a little bitty kingdom called Judah. And they were just marching across all of the, the Middle East and taking every nation. And they were coming for Jerusalem next. And God's people were far away from God. They were apathetic towards God. They were idolatrous. They were living wickedly to the point where they were taking their own children. And in order to get a good crop that year, they were following the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Hittites and the trash, uh, the, the, the uh, flashlights and the termites. They were following every other nation and they were sacrificing the physical lives of their children into, into fire. They were actually burning alive their children. You say, how is that possible? You have no idea how low the human heart can go when they do not know God and do not serve him. And these, the, the people that, that Josiah is now the king of were used to devaluing the life of even their children so they would be a success in business or they would get a good crop or whatever. Uh, it had been going, the, na- the nation of Israel had been, well, the nation of Judah had been going downhill for over a hundred years since Hezekiah had reigned. And uh, here's this eight-year-old king. <laughs> How's he going to fix this thing? Well, the general summary of his life is this. Look at verse two. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of David, his father. When he says his father, he doesn't mean his direct father, but his great, 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 went back almost 500 years, his father David, and declined, we'd say deviated, neither to the right hand nor to to the left. Now, that's a good testimony. Here, he did things that were right in God's eyes, and that's a good thing. People may think that you're going along with all your friends, and that's the testimony of the world. But when people look at a Christian, the other will say, that person is trying to live like God wants them to live. That is a rare thing where you do what God thinks is right, not what everybody else thinks is right. And what is, what is amazing, it's only because of right influences in his life. Can I be real plain? Most of us parents, when a child was born, we thought they came. All we had to do was wind them up, feed them, change their nappy, and they'll turn out fine. We came to find out they're little stinkers. They are sinners. And they have to have right influences. Children have to have right instruction. They have to be taught what is right. Amen? And Josiah turns out right only because of the right kind of influences. Uh, Influences today are fake book, book and Snapchat and Instagram and YouTube and 500 other forms of media, all to influence our children. Josiah had different influences. It'd be nice if in our day there were people who still had uh, uh, a remember a remembrance of times when there weren't all these social influences. There were two channels on the TV, amen? 
So what were Josiah's turning points? What were the, the influences that changed his direction? All right, number one, as a young boy, he decided to be like David. Did you notice that? In, um, in verse two, it says, he walked in the ways of David. Now, so many of the previous kings wanted to make their own name, want to find their own way and live the way they wanted. Now, they, they probably didn't mind being like their fathers or their uncles, but Josiah decided to skip his dad because his dad was a wicked man. And his grandfather was a very wicked man. Josiah decided to live like someone who lived 500 years earlier, David. That's an amazing thing. David's life was still affecting people 500 years after. Are you going to leave any kind of impression on this world? Or are people just going to, when they think of you, are they going to go, yeah, all right. Oh, yeah, I remember him. Josiah patterned his life out of David's life. You know what David had? He had a love for his people. David considered himself a shepherd, not a king. And he was willing to sacrifice his life when his people's lives were at risk. Even when he had brought God's judgment, he said, take my life, not your sheep. He risked his life on the battlefield to protect his people. He had great respect for authority. And Josiah, if anybody's going to affect Josiah as a king, it's going to be a good, for good, it's going to be David, who, when he had wicked influences like Saul, David said, I will not touch God's anointed. I will not fight that uh, him. I will not fight my authority. Uh David's life and lifestyle greatly influenced Josiah. Now, what's my point? Um, Josiah did not have the Bible. All he had was the life to, that he heard about. He was in the lineage of David, so everybody talked about the heritage. Oh, your your great 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 grandfather David. He did this and did. so in in Josiah's uh, home, there was a talk of a man who lived for God named David. And Josiah, growing up, even as eight years old, he said, I want to be like him. Now, what good does that mean? All right, let me show you. Ladies and gentlemen, look, go to, uh, go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Because there are a lot of people who do not have the influence of the Bible in their life. They have you. And even without the word of God, if you're living the word of God, you can influence people for good. First Peter chapter three and verse one. First <clears throat> Peter three, one, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any of your husbands, if your husband obeys not the word, how many men always obey the word of God? Not one. But if one of them is particularly rebellious and does not want to do what God says, they may also, without the word, be won over, we'd say. Not one to Christ, but one to, the right, one to the right way. They may also be won by the conversation, the life of the wife. While they behold your chaste conversation, meaning it's under control of the word of God, coupled with fear. So, uh, if, if you live right, you can have such an influence that can pass generations. Not that they don't need the Bible, but they may never read the Bible. At least they ought to read you. And they ought to say, so-and-so, man, they, 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 they live differently. They, they, they follow a different set of marching orders. And look at their life. They're joyful, 
All right, so as a young boy, that made a big difference in his life. Number two, at 16, we talk about teenagers and how messed up they are, and they are. But at 16 years of age, look in verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, that's eight plus eight. He's eight years old when he gets started. He's now eight years on down the line. He's 16 years old when he was yet young. He began to seek after. Right now, he's no longer looking for David as an example. He's now maturing. Who is he wanting to know? Who is he wanting to influence his life? The God of David. You see, that's maturity. When I was young, I wanted to be like my dad. When I was young, I wanted to be like the people I saw. And when I got saved, I wanted to be like missionaries that I read about. I wanted to be like my preacher. Uh, I wanted to be like people. But after a little while, I realized they were nothing. It was the God that they were following that made the difference, that changed their life, that saved their families. And I said, I want to follow now the God of those people. And that's what Josiah did. Um, third. At 20, he cleaned up the Jewish society. And it, it, it testifies to the fact that he loved morality. He loved having constraint on his life. And he loved having rules. Now, I know I'm going to speak probably, you're, never, you're not going to understand what I'm about to say. But if you love this Bible, you don't mind when there are rules put upon you. When you have restrictions that say you cannot be out past a certain hour. You're not supposed to be hanging with so-and-so. Uh, that, that word should never come out of your mouth. You know, if you're, if you're trying to, to walk with God, you don't mind people having rules. And yet in this generation, it is just the most common thing where everybody, oh, they say I can't do this and all that. I understand. That's the flesh. But look at Josiah. Let's read verse 3 again. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, that's 16 years old. I'm sorry, that's 20 years old. Um, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places. Those were places where they would get up on top of a hill and they would set up idols. And he, and he purged uh, Judah and Jerusalem of groves, which were trees that were dedicated to being made into idols. And the carved images and the molten, the metal images. And so they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence. Boy, he was like, You're gonna, I'm going to make sure this is destroyed. And the images that were on high uh, above them, he cut down. And the groves and the carved images and the molten images, he break in pieces. And he made dust of them and he strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests. He actually dug them up and burnt the bones of the priests, the false priests, upon the altars. And he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem of all of its false religion and false worship. Verse 6. And so did he, not only in Jerusalem, but also in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even under Naphtali. Naphtali was up at the very top of the nation of Israel with their mattocks round about. When he had broken down the altars and the groves and, and beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he went to to Jerusalem. And, and the idea is, he said, you know what? This town needs to be cleaned up. That's what they used to talk about, a new sheriff in town, if you watch the old westerns. And, and the, 
the, the, the sheriff came in and he saw all the people drinking and drunk and fighting and, and uh, the, the, uh, the, you know, the hotel had become a whorehouse and, and the bank was closed down because people were constantly robbing it. And he says, it's time to clean up. And you know, if you have any relationship with God, you're going to have the same desire. You're going to want things to be clean. You're going to want that, 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 the, the environment and society not to continue to, dis, to, to disintegrate. And so it ought to break our hearts as we watch our society fall apart, shouldn't it? And if you have a home where every year it just gets more and more wicked, the stuff coming off the TV, the, 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 the um, filth coming into your house, uh, I don't know, if you've got family members and people coming in and the language coming on, it ought to grieve you and say, I've got to stop this. We've got to clean this up. That's a Christian. Now, um, he didn't, it, 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 it needs to understand here that just making laws and putting limits on people never changes them, does it? It makes for a safe society. Aren't you glad they have speed limits on the road? <coughs> speed limits are laws that make driving safe. Aren't you glad that we all know we drive on the correct side, on the left side, amen? If we didn't have that law, that rule, we'd be killing each other by accident every time we got on the road. So, but making laws don't change hearts. Something else has to be added to Josiah's life and to the life of God's people. <clears throat> so God gives Josiah the answer to the ruin that's on the inside. He's trying to clean up the outside. But there is something wrong on the inside, and God gives him the most important influence of all. Now look at verse 8. <clears throat> Here, you're going to see dis uh, the discovery of the book. And I'm using that emphasis on the word the for a reason. Um, it was time for them to now repair the temple and clean it up. Uh, verse 8. Now, in the 18th year of his reign, he's 26 years old. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, uh, and Maasiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. When they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites that kept the doors had gathered of the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim and all the remnant of Israel and all Judy, Judah and Benjamin, and they returned to Jerusalem. They took up an offering of all of the people all over the area. And they put it in the hand of the workmen, we'd say builders, that had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they gave it to the workmen that wrought in the house of the Lord to repair and amend the house. So it'd be like having a couple of dozen Eric's, you know, just here, we're going to get this all fixed up. Verse 11, it says, even to the artificers, which is a, a craftsman, and to the builders gave they it, to buy hewn stone and timber for couplings, and to floor the houses, which, not underline these words, the kings of Judah before had destroyed. So the previous kings had just let floors rot, and it had destroyed the inside of the temple. Verse 12, and the men did the work faithfully. The overseers of them were Jahath and Obadiah, the, the Levites, and the son of Merariah, Merari, and Zechariah and Meshulam, of the sons of the Kohathites, to set it forward, to keep it going, and other of the Levites. 
all that could skill of mu- instruments of even what? So you know, it's kind of funny uh, when we're doing some projects over here. You know what's nice to have in the background? Good music. And people are still that way. I mean, sometimes on the job, you're, you're allowed to have music playing in the background. Well, what was going on while they're... <laughs> there were Levites out there singing. Praise to God. That's a good thing. So there was joy there. They were repairing that temple. Um, down to verse 13. And they were over the bearers of burdens and were overseers of all that wrought the work in the manner of the service. And the Levites... There were scribes and officers and porters. So there, everybody's involved. Important people are involved. Um, everything seems so fine. They're just rebuilding the temple. Josiah has no idea what's going to happen next. He's not looking for anything. He thinks, I, I've done my best. What else is there? And God will always show you. Can I be honest with you? You think, ah, I've got my, I've got my morality right. I've got my life right. I've got my family right. And then you get into church and you sit down or you're reading your Bible and the Lord will say, there's something more. There's something else to work on. There's another, there's another um, uh, influence that you need. And he didn't know what it was. So in verse 14, we're going to come to an accidental discovery. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture because I would have loved to have been there. Look at verse 14. And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Now, a book was accidentally found. Right amongst all the rubbish and the dust. It'd be like going through your attic. Now, I don't know if you have an attic like mine, where it's just got stuff shoved into that hole there, okay? How often do you go through all the stuff you have in your attic? And the longer... You go along, and the more kids and grandkids you have, the more stuff is in the attic. So one day, you sit down with your grandson, or your great-grandson, and uh, you start opening boxes. You go, wow, look at this. I haven't seen this in 50 years. That's what's about to happen here. Um, The last time anybody had tended to and maintained the temple was well over 50 years earlier, and they were only using it for false worship of false gods. And yet here's somebody finding a book. And it's in the form of some, some old scrolls. But it wasn't just any book. It was called the book. We call it the Bible. In Greek it's called ha biblios. So when you pick up your Bible and it says holy Bible. It's actually, it actually means the holy book. That's what Bible means. And it comes from this phrase in the Old Testament. The book of the law. Habiblios. Um, I'll show you something. Uh, let's go to Deuteronomy 31. Go back to the left. We'll come back here after two scriptures. Deuteronomy 31. The last chapter of Deuteronomy 31. <clears throat> after Moses had written Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, look what God says about this book. Now, I want you to understand, when they thought of a book, they did not think of a bound book like this, this had not been invented yet. The kind of book that they had was actually in parts. They were called scrolls, and they were rather large. And so, but they still were called, they still called all of those scrolls because they all were one label. All those scrolls were called the book of the law. 
Look at Deuteronomy 31 in verse 26. And take, verse 26, take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God that it may be there for a witness against thee, against Israel. And he says, keep the law in the temple. Keep it there. Make copies from it, yes, but it's called the book of the law. Go to Joshua. Just a few pages to the right. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. This will be one of our memory verses this year. Look what God tells Joshua after Moses is dead. God tells Joshua, don't worry, don't look to Moses anymore. Get you a book. And he says this, verse 8, this book of the law. And he's not talking to just one book. He's talking to Genesis, X, talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This book of the law shall not depart of thy mouth. It needs to always be what comes out of your mouth. But thou shalt meditate. It needs to always be in your mind, therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do. It needs to be in all of your actions, according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. This book of the law. Now, it may not impress you, but I want you to get the idea. I want you to get the, the, the reality of what they just found. They found what Moses had penned a thousand years earlier. They had heard of the Bible. They had heard stories from the law. But they had not, in years, they had not, nobody had ever read the scriptures with their own eyes. So here, right in all that rubbish, was some forgotten, in some forgotten corner, was the very words of God. Now this is, this is actually a picture of what they found in the Qumran caves there uh, in, um, uh, outside of, of Israel in what's called the Dead Sea area. They were in some caves on, on a hillside, on a mountain uh, side, called uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Up until these scrolls were found, just back there in 1948, until these Dead Sea Scrolls were found, all the Old Testament books, the oldest ones that were in existence, were only from about 1000 AD. So you had Old Testament talking about things before Christ, but the oldest copy of the Old Testament was only a thousand years ago. It's because of a lot of persecution, the Jews were constantly being chased around and their copies were always being burned, but that's another story. Then they opened up these scrolls very carefully and these scrolls dated back 1,100 more years. They went back now another thousand years and it showed that the copies they had were exactly like they were from 100 BC. Now that may not mean not much to you, but it proves that your Bible has been preserved by God. So when they find these old books, it is a great thing. And when somebody says, well, that Bible is not translated right, they have no idea what they're talking about. The Old Testament Hebrew and the Greek that came to us in our King James Bible is right. It is right. Anyway, it was an accidental discovery. Didn't even, and it was, even though the Dead Sea Scrolls were accidentally discovered by some nomads who were sitting there feeding goats, and they looked in a hole, and he saw some clay, clay jars that had been there for a thousand years. He opened them up, and there were these documents, these scrolls, that had not been touched for 1,100 years. So, a little more. Look in verse 15. Now you th go back to uh, 2 Chronicles 34. You think everybody would be freaking out, running around, wow, 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 wow. But not everybody did, especially the high priest. 
Now, if you have a high priest in the Old Testament Jewish religion, he's supposed to be the most spiritual man there. But I found the people who have the highest, um, um, what do you want to say, their, their, their title doesn't mean they have the highest level of spirituality. This high priest was not really impressed. Look at verse 15. Hilkiah, so they said they found this uh, a book of the law, verse 15, and Hilkiah answered and said to Sheph and the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. Now, Shaphan's a scribe. He's a, he's kind of historian, all right? So if I were Hilkiah, I'd be saying, I'm, I'm taking a break from the work. I'm going to go sit down. I have never read with my own eyes what God, I have heard, I have learned, bits and pieces have been passed down to me, but I have now what God said, but instead he just hands it to someone else. Oh, Here's the Bible. <laughs> hmm. Um, he handed it to a guy named Shaphan, who's the librarian, the historian for Josiah. And um, uh, Shaphan had never read the Bible before. And guess what Shaphan does when Shaphan gets it? Look at verse. Oh, go to, I'll show you. I, need, I know you're in Second Chronicles, but it's a parallel. All the description is also in 2 Kings, but 2 Kings says it'll really interesting. 2 Kings 22. Hold your place here. Go back to the left. 2 Kings 22. In verse 8. 2 Kings 22, 8 adds one little phrase that I that is, is not in 2 Chronicles, and I want you to see it here. 2 Kings 22 in verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest, all the same things, said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he did what? And he read it. What's my focus this month? Read the Bible. Read, read the word of God. Shaphan reads it. Shaphan just sat down right in the middle of all that work going on around the temple, and he read it from start to finish. All the priests, for all of his life, had, had only just mentioned portions of Scripture, bits and pieces. The people had become used to only hearing what the priests felt like telling them. And for over a hundred years, no one had actually read anything in the Bible from start to finish. And wasn't that the same in Europe for a thousand years, where priests stood up and they told little Bible stories and they told what they, what they wanted to say to the people, but the people never read the Bible themselves. And it's called the Dark Ages for a reason. Because people were kept from the Word of God. The Bible had basically been banned and put, into, put out of the way, and nobody had access to it. And Shaphan here is somebody who sat down, just like when the Reformers brought the Bible into Europe and put it into the hands of the commoner all over Europe. It started the Reformation. And it deeply affected him. And Shaphan didn't just say, oh, here, you read it next. No, it burned. It just, it just, uh, it, it motivated him to get it all the way to the top, get it to the king. So uh, the king has to hear, look at back in Second Chronicles 34, in verse 16. And Shaphan carried the book to the king. I mean, get the idea. This book is... Is five huge, large scrolls. He's carrying the book. 
looking for my, uh, to the king. And he brought the king word back again. Watch what he says. All that was committed to thy servant, they're busy doing it. And they've gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered under the hand of the overseers and to the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hmm, by the way, Hilkiah, the high priest, hath given me a book. And uh, he didn't tell, he didn't call, did he say the book of law? Did he say that? Did he say, I found the Old Testament, I found the Bible? Did he say, no, he said, I found a book. <laughs> and it says this, and Shaphan read it before the king. The first thing I want you to notice, this is his second time reading the Bible, the Old Testament Matthew, uh, sorry, Genesis, Exodus, Vintage, Number Deuteronomy. He's, he loves the Bible enough. He says, I, I, we, we found this book. I, I'm going to read it to you. And he's getting to read it all over again. And that's when Shaphan began to read out loud. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness and God called the light day. And the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. And if you know anything about Bible reading, it takes three and a half hours to read all of the book of Genesis. If you just read it out loud, normal speed. So for the next three and a half hours, he heard Genesis read. Then he heard him go on and he read now, these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. He read Exodus. And Exodus takes three hours to read through, start to finish, if you don't stop. Then he turned and he read another scroll that said, and the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man bring you an offering unto the Lord, he shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation for the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering. And it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Shaphan read Leviticus. It takes two hours to read through the book of Leviticus. Then he started another scroll. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of the congregation, in the first day of the second month, in the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take ye the sum, number all of the congregation of the children of Israel after their families by the house of their fathers, with the number of their names, every male by their poles. He read the book of Numbers. Takes three hours to read through the book of Numbers. And then he read the last book. These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain over against the Red Sea between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazaroth and Zibza, Dizaba. These are, the ele these are 11 days journey from Horah by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea. And it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, in the first day of the month, that Moses spake unto the children of Israel, according to all that the Lord had given him in the commandments unto them. And he read Deuteronomy. Two hours to read that start to finish. Now I want you to get, get an idea. 
Look at what he says. Um, verse 18. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, uh, uh, saying Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book, and Shapheth read it before the king. Verse 19. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law, he rent his clothes. It cut him to the heart. What's going on? You see, this was not like any normal book. Josiah took what was what was read out loud. He took it personally. You ever been into a conversation with somebody and you say something and you can see their face drops and you realize they just took what you said personally? You ever had that? Well, guess what? You should do that when you're reading the Bible. You should take it as directed right at you. And Josiah, Josiah, when he hears the words of this book, he listens for 13 and a half hours to the reading of, of God's story through his people, the law from Genesis from the start of time all the way up until, and it describes everything that was coming upon them right now with all the judgment of God. And it affects him. I believe for Josiah to be that moved, he realized what he was hearing was not like any other book he had ever read or heard. That's why I still read a King James Bible. I don't, I have actually, I've got 26 different versions of my home. I've read most of them. A lot of them, I, I waste a lot of time. I've read, I've read, uh, 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 um, I've read too many different books that just really just make you sick when you try to read it because they talk like Joe Soaps. They talk like Oprah Winfrey. They, they, they talk like gutter talk. I want it to speak to my heart. I want it, I want, and I expect the Bible to sound like God's book, amen? This book being read, if, I, if somebody started reading to you and expected you, they didn't tell you how long you're going to sit there and read it, how long would you put up with them just reading off the internet? How long would you put up with them just reading a page after page of their book they're currently reading? Not very long, but Josiah sits there for 13 and a half hours listening to this book that he's never heard start to finish before. Spoke to his heart and not just his head. You know why most people don't enjoy the Bible? Because they're trying to let it only speak to their head. And it doesn't. It's meant to be, it's meant to attack and stab and break the heart. And when we're trying, we're trying to read, we're trying to make sense of it all. Why is this? Who's that? And how come they're, all of those questions can be answered, but it's written to the heart. A woman in Africa was asked if she enjoyed reading her new Bible that she had just received in her language. She replied, sir, I'm not reading this book. This book is reading me. I thought that was very profound. You see, as Josiah heard the words of God being read to him, he heard God x-ray in his life. He was trying to put together what, what's going on, following the story, following the commandments and all this stuff. But he found out that book was reading him. I'll show you a, a nice cross-reference. Um, well, I, I, I better come back to it in a second. As he heard that law being read, he heard not only the good parts, not only the promises of God, but he heard the warnings of God. He heard the fierce judgment of God coming on his people. I'm just going to read a few scriptures. If you want, go to Leviticus chapter 26, because this is what got him. Leviticus 26. 
in verse 14. Leviticus 26 in verse 14. But if you will not hearken unto me, if you won't listen unto me, and will not do all these commandments, and if you shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that ye end up breaking my covenant, verse 26, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror. Consume the eyes, cause sorrow, I'm sorry, terror, consumption, and the burning egg. Now, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but that, that simply means a fever with chills. You know, everybody's worried about this disease going around. Everybody's getting that's a real bad flu. Judgment of God. And the burning egg that shall consume the eyes. The fever will make it so that you go blind and cause sorrow of heart. And ye shall sow your seed in vain, and your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you, and ye shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and ye shall flee when no man pursueth. That entire chapter, over and over, he says, and if that doesn't get your attention, I'll make it worse. And if that doesn't make, get your attention, I'll make it worse. And Leviticus describes seven steps to destruction. I think we're on that trail now as a world. And the warnings of that book ought to bring the fear of God to people. Unfortunately, most people, the fear that they have is only of death. They don't fear God. So he's cut to the heart. Look back there in, in 2 Chronicles, verse 34. He's cut to the heart. Verse 19. And the Bible was written like a knife. All right. Uh, look there in verse 19. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. I want you to understand. You, you just don't normally do that. Okay. I mean... To, this is very expensive clothes. This is his identity. People, when they saw the king, I mean, he was royally uh, uh, clothed. And here he is ripping it from, from, uh, uh, from its top down. He's just, he's exposing himself as a nobody. What's he doing? He's repenting. I'll we'll talk about that in a second. But it's, it cut him. It hurt him. Go to Hebrews. Hold your place here. We'll come back to it. But Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a pillow. Is that what it says? Now, I love the comfort of Scripture. The Bible does comfort us. The truth frees us, doesn't it? Releases us from all kinds of bondage. But the Bible is not written as a pillow. What was it written as? A sword, a two-edged sword. We call it a surgical knife. Look what it says. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow. What's he describing? It's like a 
It's like a, a butcher or a surgeon opening up a body and cutting around bones and marrow and joints and muscles and tissue and able to do it with precision. Look, the Bible does it, but it does it of the soul and the spirit and is a discerner. You know what that word is? The word discerner means critic. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That Bible read Josiah and Josiah said, he's got me. It's exactly what I'm like. I've had people say, are you a fly in our house? <laughs> I've had people say, it sounds like you were part of our fight last night. You're talking about us, what we just went through. How did you know? And I didn't, but the word of God did. And so here is Josiah, and he responds in three ways. Number one, he repents. It's a big deal for him to rip and tear his clothes. He's ashamed of himself. He's not proud of being king, and he's not an elitist looking down on everybody. He goes down to the bottom as if he's a nobody. And I like the fact he didn't get angry at the person who's just reading the Bible. He got angry at himself. He's personally repenting of his own part. Verse, uh, look at verse 20. The king commanded Hilkiah, that high priest, and Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, and Abdon, the son of Micah, and Shaphan, the scribe, and Asiah, Asiah, the servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire, we'd say pray, of the Lord for me, and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured upon us. You know, I wish, I wish Ireland would say that. I wish America would say that. Great is the wrath of God that is poured out on us right now. When wicked rule over the people, it's God's judgment. And we are, we are at a place where almost every nation in this world have wicked, the most wicked rulers. And there are some wicked rulers coming into power in America. Verse 20, 20 goes on. Our, uh, uh, the great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. We're supposed to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And there it is, Josiah admitting we have not been doing it. So he admits it. And then what is great is he... Um, where's my word? Oh, uh, I'll come back to this in a second. Well, I thought I had an uh, answer, but let me... He repents, he admits, he worries about his people. Is this the end? And then he sought God's mercy. Look at verse 21. He says, go inquire of the Lord for me. Pray. Find out what we're supposed to do. You know, warnings have a way of waking a person up. I was telling the guys um, yesterday, I smelled something burning. And I thought it was an electrical fire. And you know, I'm passing through my downstairs and... Now, I've smelled electrical fire before. Okay, we had one back in 2000. And actually, our whole house caught on fire. So when I smelled the, uh, an electrical fire, I stopped in my tracks. I put whatever I had in my hand down, and I went... <laughs> I've been a good dog, man. And I'm looking around, trying to find, where is this? Because an electrical fire is a dangerous fire. It could be in the walls. It could be in the ceiling. And I go up the stairs, I go in our bedroom, I'm in the bathroom, I'm in my office. I'm looking for a wire that's exposed. I'm looking for something plugged in that's maybe old. And 
Everything's unplugged. Every, there's nothing plugged in over here. I go into our spare bedroom and I'm walking around. I'm looking in the, pl- there's nothing plugged in. And I'm on my way back out and I'm smelling. I smell this just whiffs of something that's burning. And as I pass out, listen, my, my point is this. That whiff stopped me dead and I had to act. You understand what I'm saying? Now, what was it? What was cute was the sun had come in through the window at an angle. And we have this very old tub that has a, a, a locking lid on it for putting money in so that you can save up money. It's hard for the kids to open up. <laughs> so you put money in, it doesn't come out too easily. That thing was up on the dresser and there was a lady's mirror, a convex mirror. You know, ladies like to get real close to their face. It, it was angled exactly so the sunlight hit that and then focused on the top of that money bucket and was melting it like a laser. Now, I laughed because I was glad that it was not electrical fire. But the smoke coming out of that thing just, I went, look at the cause of that smoke. It was just unbelievable that the sun, the rays of the sun and the, the mirror just angled just right. It's just chance. But it stopped me dead in my tracks, didn't it? You're driving along and all of a sudden a light comes on in your dash and it says oil. It should stop you and you should pull over. There's a, there's a time when the warnings of the word of God should stop us from just living like we normally do. And God help us so that when we read the Bible and it speaks that number one, we take it personally. Number two, we take it seriously. Not everybody, not everybody does. I need you to see Josiah's son. You want to go to Jeremiah 36. It's after Psalms. So we got Isaiah, Jeremiah. We'll make some conclusions in just a moment, but I have to show you these two. This is Josiah's son. Josiah was a man who was greatly influenced by the word of God. But I'm going to show you his son wasn't. They're two opposite reactions to the same words of warning. Josiah, I'm sorry, uh, Jeremiah chapter 36, start in verse 1. Came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Joash, Josiah, the son of who? Of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah. And against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. And what God's going to do is, uh, Josiah, Josiah's son, Jehoiakim, is going to hear the very same warnings that his daddy heard. Verse 3, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that it may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Barak, the son of Neriah, and Baruch, Barak uh, wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. It's called the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah commanded Barak, saying, I am shut up. He's in prison. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. Therefore go thou and read out loud in the scroll which thou hast written from my mouth. The words of the Lord in the ears of all the people of the, in the Lord's house upon the fasting day. And also shalt thou, uh, uh, thou shalt read them in the ears of all Judah that come out of their cities. It may be they will present their supplications before the Lord and will return everyone from his evil way. 
For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord hath pronounced against his people. And Barak the son, see if I want to go as far. So God is giving the next generation the very same chance to respond right to the word of God that he gave to Josiah. But Josiah's son did not react well. Go down to verse 14 to the word of God. Look at verse 14. Therefore, all the princes sent Jehudai, the son of uh, Nethaniah, the son of Shalamiah, the son of Cushai, unto Barak, the guy who's got this scripture, saying, take in thine hand the roll wherein thou hast read in the ears of all the people. You've just been reading it to everybody. And we want you to come. So Barak, the son of Neriah, took the roll in his hand and came unto them. And they said unto him, sit down now and read it in our ears. So Barak read it in their ears. Now it came to pass when they had heard all the words, they were afraid, both one and other, and said to Barak, we will surely tell the king of all these words. And they asked Barak, saying, tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? And Barak answered, said he, he pronounced all the words unto me, and I just wrote them in a book, okay? Look, verse 20. I'll go and start down to verse 21. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishima, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudai read it in the ears of the king, in the ears of all the princes which stood before the king. The king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, a leaf is, you know, portions that have been sewn together of, these, of, of, of the book. After he's only read three or four leaves, he cut it with a penknife, and he cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. What did he do? He got angry. <clears throat> And he got upset enough where he said, I'm not listening anymore. And he took that roll and he cut it into bits and then he threw it into the fire saying, I'm not going to let anybody else hear that either. Hmm. Go down to verse 30. Because your reaction to the word of God determines your life. It cost him dearly. Look in verse 30. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit upon the throne of David. He's the last king. And his dead body shall be cast out in the day of the heat and in the night of the, to the frost. And I will punish him and his seed and his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah all the evil that I've pronounced against them. But they hearken not. They didn't care. Two responses. One soft. The other one hard. Isn't that funny? Men's hearts are, are, are funny things. Let me just give you, just simply from, from Josiah, I want you to see how to handle the Word of God. Number one, listen to it. It's not a bad thing if you can have it your time when you're reading the Bible to read it out loud. Because it actually, it actually keeps your attention if you're reading it out loud better than if you're... If you're not a good reader, read it out loud. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, but he answered and said unto them, uh, unto him, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Listen to every word. Secondly, let it speak to you. James, I won't go there. I'll talk about it next week. James says, when you come to the Bible, come to it like a mirror. Don't just look at it and go, hey, I'm fine. No, let it reveal you. Let the Bible talk to you about your problems. Oh, I see my husband right there. That's him. That's my teenage son. That's my mother. That's my pastor. If you see everybody else but yourself, 
You're missing the purpose of the Bible. Let it speak to you about you. Third, take the commandments seriously. There are things that, that if it's a commandment, if it's a law, you have to do it. Amen? We don't take God's commandments, especially we're in the New Testament. Well, the, the commandments don't apply to us. Oh, yes, they do. There are ceremonial commandments that don't. There are things that are specific only for the Jews that don't. But you better find out there are a lot of those. It's still wrong to commit adultery. It is still wrong to steal. It is still wrong to lie. Amen? Take the commandments seriously and take the warnings more seriously. If there's anything we can get as a church, it's an attitude towards this Bible where it says, whatever it says, I, I, it's God talking to me and I'll take it seriously. So react. Now, I'm gonna, don't misunderstand me. But when you're reading the Bible, please go ahead and get angry. You say, I don't like that. Good. You're reacting. I'm sick and tired of Christians and people who just sit there. And there's no emotions. There's no reaction. You know what that is? Pride. It is, listen, if that thing upsets you, let it upset you. Get a reaction. <clears throat> a famous preacher once said, my job is to either make you mad or make you glad. <laughs> Amen. We're supposed to have a reaction to the preaching of the Bible, to the reading of the Bible. React. When you're reading the Bible, get happy. Get excited. Get scared. Any emotion is better than none. Amen? Got a reaction out of some of you there. Repent. How do you read the Bible? Repent of whatever you discover you're doing wrong. You know, it's the only thing a sinner has to do. You believe the gospel, but you must repent. You're going to have to look at your life in the light of God's ju coming judgment and go, I'm in trouble. And if you, if you do not come to God, if you want to negotiate with God, if you just want to kind of just, hey, God, I'll take salvation, it doesn't work that way. You come as a sinner on your way to hell, scared and beat and, and, and ruined and sorry that, that you even exist. And you come to God and he says, I'll take salvation. That's repentance. Repent. Now, you say, well, that's all I have. No, no. After you get saved, you're doing it for the rest of your life. You're always going to be coming to God saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I did that. God, I read how there should be no evil communication ever come out of my mouth. I'm sorry. So you're going to constantly be repenting. That's what the Bible should be doing to you, getting you to repent. And then lastly... Seek to get close to the author of these words. We're going to talk about it next week where Josiah says, I've got to find out what, what God says. Is this the end of our nation? Sounds like we're under the judgment of God. And what he finds is mercy and forgiveness. I like that. God makes things serious so that we get close to him. And he says, you know what? Now that you've moved closer to me, I can help you. I can fix things. So by way of conclusion, our world is crumbling fast. I think you would agree with that. How are you going to be remembered? Is it possible that you were meant at this time? Dear Christian, you listen to me. Is it possible that you were meant at this time to make an impact? How are people going to remember you? Are you even going to try and do things that are right? Or are you just going to go with the world? If you do things right, if you end up making wise decisions and making your life line up with the Word of God, it'll be because you have right influences in your life. Like godly examples. 
Your, your heroes ought to be Bible heroes. Your heroes ought to be people who live selflessly for the word of God and for the preaching of the gospel and for the lost getting saved. Your heroes ought to be missionaries and, and preachers and Christians who sacrificed everything so that people would get saved, so our world would be turned upside down. Godly examples. A personal walk with, with God yourself. What, what, uh, um, uh, what Josiah decided was, I not only want to be like David, I want to be like David's God. I want to follow the God of David. Have a personal walk with God. I want to be like Jesus. Love morality, would you? Would you love that, that when, when people come out with good films that you can watch, love that and encourage that and support that. Don't support all the filth of Hollywood. Get a book in your hand and in your heart. Get that book in your hand and then in your heart. Read your Bible every day. Sounds simple. Then do it. And you can respond rightly. How did he respond to it? He repented. He admitted. I, I'm part of the problem. He worried about his nation, about his home. And he sought God's mercy. You know, that, that, that'll get anybody right with God, and that'll get a church right with God. That'll get... If we just let the Bible... If I have to motivate you, if I have to manipulate your thinking so that you feel like reading the Bible, then I'm losing the battle. It won't work. But if I can tell you, if I can stir up in your heart a hunger for that book so that you say, I don't want to be like Jehoiakim, spoiled brat's son. I want to be like young Josiah who had the right attitude. God, give me that same attitude. Father, thank you for your word that we have in our hands that we've taken for granted. And there's a world that doesn't have one verse. There are so many nations and peoples who are dying without any hope, without any truth. They look under the stars and have no idea who made them. Here we are. We, we've got everything like Hilkiah the priest. It doesn't, the, the Bible doesn't mean anything to us. And we hand it off to someone else. Somebody who's never read the Bible would devour it. I remember when I did, when I got saved, I had to read it and read it and read it. I loved it. Couldn't get enough of it. Still can't. Lord, I pray that, that would be in every heart. It's a simple message. Read our Bible. Read our Bible. To know him. To know the author. Lord, it's the Bible that, that, that makes a difference in a person's life. It's the Bible that makes a difference in a nation's life. I'm not just not talking to people. I'm talking to Ireland. That if the Irish got the word of God and got it into their homes and in their hearts, it would save our nation. Great preaching is only great if it's, if it's the Bible. Great church is only great if they're just preaching the Bible, if they're just ministering the Bible, if they're just getting it out. May we... Make sure we stay there. I pray, God, this morning, if there's somebody who's not saved, I was not. I came to church week after week when I first started coming, and I didn't know that he was actually talking about me. And there you were, Lord. Every single time, it was me that you died for. Somebody in this room needs to cry out to you and say, God, please save me. I realize there's judgment coming upon me. I've lived wickedly. I've lived away from you. I don't deserve anything, but you give it. And I'll take it. I'll take Jesus today for salvation.
pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.